For those of you who are here this morning, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. So we spoke today about going to Haiti and traveling abroad and bringing the gospel to the people in Haiti. And so it's really easy, I think, for me to use an interpreter uh, to be able to spread the news of Jesus in a foreign land with people who I will never see again. That, that action is a lot more difficult when it's here. So if you heard some of the questions that we were asking, if I went to your home or if I asked a coworker some of the questions that we were asking some of those Haitian people, and they're not bad questions, they're just, I would be like, whoa, why do you want to know all this information about me? How many kids do you have living in your house? Are you married? Are you not? Are your kid, or Do you believe in the gospel? Do you, so those are very uh, confrontational questions that you would ask here in the States, but over there it's nothing to them. And so this morning I want to talk about, how the, fact of, about the fact that we are all missionaries in our own right. That we are all ambassadors called. That just because we don't mount and get on a plane and head out to a foreign land, that doesn't mean that God has not called us to be spreaders of the seed of the gospel. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, if you'll read it with me. I'm reading from the New Living from the um, New International Version, and it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. I just want, that is amazing to me because when Jesus is talking about that town built on a hill, he's talking about individuals. And sometimes we think as people that God has built us in a valley. And that we are called to permanently be in a valley in our lives. And that there's just a flood of overwhelming. And that's all we were built for. But you need to know that Jesus said in his word, you are a town built on a hill. That means he didn't put you in the low zone. He put you in the high zone. Dispel that. Get rid of that thought. God has placed you. He has destined you for something great. Verse 15, he continues, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Louisa, I am so happy that your light gave out and shined for Courtney. And if you have family members that you lived, live with, husbands, wives, sisters, uncles, brothers, cousins, children that don't know Jesus, shine that light because sooner or later that seed will have an opportunity to grow and God will do something great with that. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the reading of your word. Speak to us powerfully this morning. Anoint this word with your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I've titled this morning's message, Outside the Four Walls. When Jesus entered our world, he didn't box himself into the four walls of the synagogue or the four walls of the church. He walked into the lives of sinners. 
He touched the lepers, even though it wasn't culturally acceptable to do. He associated himself with prostitutes. He dined with pagans. And he scandalized the religious community by penetrating the world. In order for Jesus to reach and rescue the world, he had to penetrate it. Same for us. To impact and influence the world, we've got to get in it. We've got to get into the thick of things. The great speaker, not John Scott, John Stott, (laughs) said this. We are to go as he went to penetrate human society, to mix with unbelievers and fraternize with sinners. Does not one of the church's greatest failures lie here? We have disengaged too much. We have become a withdrawn community. And we have become aloof instead of alongside. We are not called to be hermits in our cocoon. And to celebrate what God does on Sunday. And then to keep it to ourselves on Monday. On Sunday the church gathers. But Monday through Saturday the church scatters. And into the marketplace followers of Jesus live as God's ambassadors. They are his representatives, his messengers, and they are all called to a mission. And that is you, your workplace, your marketplace, where you go to work, where you go to school, where you spend your time. If it's the library or a college campus, whether if it's the grocery store, wherever you are, you are acting on behalf of the king of the universe. R.C. Sprawl, who is considered a very wise theologian, described the mission to the marketplace as the following. The cradle of the church was the marketplace. From the preaching and public ministry of Jesus to the daily acts of the apostles, the central scene was the marketplace. Perhaps the greatest need for our day is the need to market Jesus Christ. The church must become experts in marketing, not in the slick Madison Avenue style, but in an aggressive yet dignified way. The marketplace is where the church belongs. It is where needy people are found. It is not enough for the church to hang a welcome sign on her door. We dare not wait for the world to come to us, for we must go out to the world. The world is waiting for us. They're waiting for us to hang out with the sinners. They're waiting for us to speak life to the brokenhearted. They're not just going to come here just because we created a fancy sanctuary and a high beat children's ministry and because we've all got it together no they're gonna they're gonna wait for us to go out there to reach out to them I read to you this morning and I said to you this morning that all you need to do is cry out to Jesus to be saved but I also shared with you something else there's some questions that are followed up to that particular scripture and the questions that are followed up is who will go and bring them the good news who will share with them it's not enough to do good deeds if they don't know in whose name you've done the deed in So maybe you're living right out there. Maybe they see you doing wonderful things, but if they don't know that you are living, breathing, and working on behalf of Jesus Christ, 9 to 5, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, then it's worthless. It's worthless. Jesus' strategy always involved believers going into the world to penetrate the marketplace. Followers of Christ must recognize their ministry 
and mission of communicating God's love to people who they come into contact with every day. If you've got somebody at work that doesn't know that you are high head over heels for Jesus, then there's something wrong. If you've been working at a place for over a year and nobody knows that you're a Christian, when somebody comes up to you and says, well, why don't you cheat on the numbers when you write them down? Well, why don't you skew the results? Well, why do you operate with such integrity? Well, why aren't you messing around with the way that everybody else is? Why don't you have a wife in the workplace and a wife at home? You need to come out and tell them it's because Jesus resides in me. It's because I live for something greater than myself. It's because I have a light that needs to shine. It needs to burst forth. And it's because there's integrity flowing through me. And that integrity is the integrity of Jesus. God has given us a biblical mandate. It was this intentional mission strategy that Jesus had in mind when he said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by man. Let me tell you something. Once your testimony is through the drain, it's very difficult to recover it. You are the light of the world. A a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all those who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. I just want you to imagine the scene that's taking place here. Imagine Jesus standing on a hillside right by the Sea of Galilee, speaking quietly just to a small band of his followers. Then picture, if you will, the marketplace today, the workplace today, the local supermarket, the local office, the local computer sales area, whatever job, the local doctor's office. And they're so different from Jesus sharing this message on the banks of the Sea of Galilee to our workplace. Yet even today in the marketplace of a noisy, hectic world, these words find their mark. And I'm constantly amazed that the words that grip the heart of first century, first century believers can still strike a response in the hearts of men and women today. And I'd like to highlight three ideas illustrated in Jesus' imagery of light that have direct bearing on our experiences in the marketplace. Number one, we're called to radiate Christ's love. Jesus made it absolutely clear that he wants his followers to radiate his love to those around him. That's why he talked about light. Think about this. We, we did this actually, this wonderful trick during VBS. We took a light, one of those school lights that were downstairs, the fluorescent lights, and one of the things that we did is we put it, the fluorescent light, right in the middle of the room. We turned the lights off, and we put a blanket underneath, and the kids would rub the blanket underneath, and as they were rubbing and the friction was causing, the light would glimmer forth. And as the light would glimmer forth, and as the light began to radiate, the darkness began to be dispelled. You see, darkness has no choice. When the lights are on, darkness has to flee. We can't turn a light on and then tell it not to dispel darkness. The very nature of light is that it shatters the darkness that is around it. In the same way that true Christians should, by their very nature, radiate something of the work of God in their lives to the people that are around them. We are the light of the world. We must, therefore, radiate the light that Jesus has placed in us and dispel the darkness that attempts to surround us. Number two, Jesus says, don't refuse to shine your light. 
Jesus anticipated that some believers might choose to limit their candle power, to refuse to shine their lights. He knew that they would feel safer, securely hidden underneath the bowl. Our bowl today is known as a stained glass sanctuary. Where they could bask in their anonymity and escape the accountability associated with going public with their faith. And he anticipated that people would feel this way. Jesus anticipated the world that we would live in. A world that would not receive his name. A world that would be persecuted if you even mentioned his name. A world where you would be ostracized and taken to the human resources department. If you dared to share your faith. You see, Jesus anticipated this. He knew that this was going to happen. But alone, he said, let your light shine. He forbade your light to be hidden. He forbade you refusing to shine your light or for you to keep your faith in anonymity. His intention was for us to go out into the world and disturb the darkness. Not allow it to gain a foothold. Number three, he calls us to spread Christ's influence. Jesus made it obvious that he wants us to spread his influence to every corner of this dark and fallen world. It's not enough that we simply take our lights out of hiding. He wants us to put them on a lampstand so that everyone can see them. God wants the light of his love to be held so high that it can permeate every bit of darkness in the world. How long will it take for us to realize that we are agents of his light? It is through the channel of our daily lives that God shines the light of his message of love. And how do we become agents of light? How do we penetrate the marketplace? How can we bring glory to God and touch the lives of people we meet in positive, life-changing ways? Well, this morning I'd like to give you some practical examples of how we can do so. Number one, it's probably the easiest one of them all, yet it's the most difficult. Take on the unseen partner. The writer of the book of Psalms shared this in Psalm chapter 16, verse 8. I keep the Lord in mind always because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Before you go to work, take time to pray about your job. Pray for the people that you'll be working with and those who you will be serving. Remember that God is the unseen partner in all of life. He is with us wherever we are, and we need his presence, especially in the marketplace. Think about the meaning of these words from a 13th century writer. His name was Meister Eckhart. The kind of work we do does not make us holy, but we make it holy. As we have the divine being within, we bless each task that we do be it eating or sleeping or watching or any other task. There's some stories that I was able to capture. There's an individual by the name of Keith Miller. He's a businessman and an author. And he decided to take the unseen partner with him to work. Consciously, he decided he would take Christ's presence with him to work daily at the office. To remind himself of the divine being Walking with him, he prayed every time he walked to and from the drinking fountain. And as he walked through the offices and spoke to people, he prayed for them. As a piece of paper came across his desk, he would commit it to God. And since he said he, said he noticed no outward change in his attitude, but some of the love and concern he had for these people must have communicated itself to them because people began to come to him to talk about their inner lives. Being conscious of God's presence can have a profound impact on your job and can transform the people around you. 
Number two, transform your attitude. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. He says this, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. At your work, whatever it may be, have an attitude that reflects the positive nature of God's grace on your life. God didn't make you a Christian to rip out all the fun away from your life. He didn't make you a Christian so that you could stop joking around and stop having fun in your life. He made you a Christian so that you could radiate the joy that he has placed within you. Transform your attitude. Show that God's grace is upon you. Many jobs are boring. They're boring. Every, every once in a while, I'll have a boring week here at the church. Where I don't, I feel like, geez, man, I, 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 I've come into work and, and not a lot is happening. Then in the weeks where it's going high speed, full blast, I'm like, slow it down. Let's evenly distribute this. But some, some jobs can be boring. I remember uh, an illustration that was shared by one of the large megachurch pastors. His name is Bishop T.D. Jakes. And he said that he was a janitor. And he said that he thought it was the most boring thing that he could have done. And, but as he was swiping the floors, he would give glory to God. And thank God. And he would praise Jesus in whatever he was doing. Whatever you're doing, no matter what it is, give glory to God in it. Let your light radiate and shine no matter what it is, no matter what opinion you might think of the job that you're doing. Let the boss have a good opinion of the testimony that you have. Let him think that you're a great worker, that you're a person of integrity. Shine your light. The marketplace is often a maze of nameless people. Sometimes good employees don't get recognized and don't get promoted. Sometimes the marketplace is full of the woes of layoffs and the threats of mergers and Downsizing, but in the midst of less desirable circumstances, attitude can transform a boring, thankless job into a Christian ministry. Gordon McDonald was the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in New York City, and he would ride the same bus daily from his home to the church. One day, the bus driver complained to the pastor. He says, you've got it better than me. You have an interesting job. You get to travel to different places. I just drive this bus up and down the street every day. And the pastor told the bus driver his job could be a Christian ministry too. And he said this to him, every day when you get on this bus, before anyone else gets on, dedicate the, the bus to God for that day. Declare it to be a sanctuary for God for the day. Consecrate it to God's glory and then act like it's a place where God dwells. Several weeks later, the pastor returned from a trip and saw the bus driver. And the bus driver says, you've transformed my life. I've been doing what you said every day and it has made me see my job from an entirely different perspective. That same transformation could happen to you in your work if you would take the time to adjust your attitude every day. Number three. Realize your job is your mission field. It's easy to go to places like Haiti or Africa or China or third world countries to share the gospel over there. But the Apostle Paul reminds us something about living out the gospel here in our homes. Romans 1.16 
for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Why should I be ashamed of the gospel, the Apostle Paul asks. It is the message of salvation of life. It's powerful. It is the answer to man's greatest need. And guess what? People in the marketplace are the largest missions field in the world. You rub shoulders every day with people who need the power and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's time for you to live it out. Sylvia and Don Hill had the shoeshine concession at the Eastern Terminal at Boston's Logan Airport. And while getting shoeshine, many people would share their lives with Don and Sylvia. They would share the joy and they would share the pain. As people shared their stories, Sylvia and Don would pray. They would witness and minister as they felt directed by God's Spirit. And often people would write, stop by and thank them for listening and ministering to them. As Sylvia was washing down the stand one night, a man watched in amazement as she so carefully washed and closed the stand. And he approached Sylvia and acknowledged that he had been watching her and asked her how at the close of such a busy day could she do such a job of taking care of the stand. And here's what she said, I have to, it's God's stand. Your office, your cubicle. The table that you wait on, the medical office that you work in, the children that you teach, the home that you enter in to do work in, that is your ministry field. That is your missions field. It's God's, not yours. And if you think that way, it will transform the way you work. Why did I decide to preach this message this morning? Because, number one, I knew that there would be some people saying, man, I wish I would have gone on that trip. And I want you to think that God has called you to a missions trip here. And you take it however distance your work is from your home. I wanted to call you and tell you, for those of you who went on the trip, that as you enter back into the grind of daily life, that you are still in ministry wherever you are. Tony Ponsetti is the owner of a very successful printing business in Miami. And his attitude is that God has given him daily orders and he follows them. And he believes in the theology of interruption. If he senses the spirit leading him to minister in a certain way, he will adjust his business agenda to get on God's agenda. When Hurricane Andrew devastated Miami, Tony became absorbed in the needs of thousands of hurricane victims. He shared food with the hungry, found shelter for the homeless, and medical aid for those suffering from minor to major illnesses. As he administered humanitarian aid, he would pray for the hurting and share Christ with them. When Andrew struck Miami... God interrupted Tony's printing business agenda and gave him a ministry agenda of helping storm victims find relief and then to find Christ. One of the stories that was shared with us while we were at Mission of Hope is that there was this particular individual. It's about 2009, right before the earthquake in Haiti. This wealthy person said he wanted to buy an ambulance for Mission of Hope, which is where we stood at. He wanted to buy an ambulance. And the founder of Mission of Hope said, 
there's no need for an ambulance. I, I really don't want an ambulance. So he called him back again, and he was very insistent that God had placed it on his heart to buy an ambulance from Mission of Hope. So they said, fine. If you pay for the shipping, we'll take the ambulance. So they took the ambulance. Same similar situation. A paramedic here in the state said, hey, I don't know why God is calling me over there. God is calling me to Haiti. I don't know why God is calling me to Haiti, but God is calling me to Haiti. And they tried to discourage him again from coming. We don't really have a need for paramedics right now. But the guy came. They allowed the guy to come. 2009. I remember. I believe it was January of 2009. It was January. The earthquake struck in Haiti. Port-au-Prince was destroyed. And thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were killed, injured, and stuck behind the rubble. Guess there was only two ambulances that could make it into the rubble of Port-au-Prince in Haiti. One of them was the ambulance that was gifted to them a year earlier. That's right. God has done something good. God has done something good. God's mind and his heart needs to be carried with us no matter what workplace we head to. What can you do in your work setting to minister and witness to those around you? Let me encourage you. Make an impact list. If you don't know what you could do, think about it. Pray on it and make an impact list. What can I do to shine God's light? List the people with whom you work with that you will pray for. And begin praying for them each day. Begin each day by consecrating your workplace. Dedicate it as a sanctuary to God. Make it a holy place where God is present and God can work. And then each day look for opportunities to minister, to serve, to help, to offer assistance. We may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. And you need to find out where's that something. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Where is that area that God is calling you? Maybe you feel overwhelmed in your workplace and you're like, there's so much that needs to be done, so much that, that I can do in the workplace. Where do I begin? And that can be an overwhelming prospect, but let me share with you this. You may not be able to do everything, and you won't be. There's needs that you will encounter and that you will meet. That, that it, it, It's virtually impossible to meet some of the needs of the folks that you encounter. Or to fill the void or to fill the gap, but we know somebody who does. And so while you may not be able to do everything, there are some things that you can do as you minister life and breathe the life of Christ into the place that you work. There are people whose lives are depending on it. And as much as we believe in the grace of Jesus, and we believe that Jesus came to restore that which was broken, we do have to come to terms with the biblical reality and a biblical truth that has become non-politically correct to share. And it's that there exists eternity. And for those who follow Jesus and love the Lord, there is an eternity forever with him. And for those who do not and continue to engage and embroil themselves in a life of sin without repentance, there awaits for them the flames of hell. And as much as we hate the notion or the idea 
And as much as our culture rejects that idea and that notion, it is a biblical truth nonetheless. It is a truth that we must live with. It is why we as believers live in light of eternity. It's why we share the gospel with whomever or whoever we meet. It's why we are so passionately after our family members. Why? Because they're await in eternity. And the way that you live and the seed that you plant will forever affect the eternity of those that are around you.